Welcome to the Kauffman Foundation's Uncommon Voices series, in which we highlight people who are working to make sure all Americans, regardless of their race, gender, or geography, are able to share in our country's prosperity. In this episode, Kauffman Foundation Director of Education Sherman Weitz has a conversation about how the pandemic has made the digital divide even wider for vulnerable students to receive a quality education with Dr. Marla Shepard, Deputy Superintendent of the Kansas City, Missouri Public Schools, and Awas Sufi, President and CEO of SchoolSmart Kansas City. Here's Sherman. Marla, Awas, thank you so much for joining me today for this conversation. Um, I'm Sherman White. I am a uh, Director of Education at the UN Marion Kaufman Foundation. And if you all could take a minute to introduce yourselves, I would greatly appreciate it. Dr. Marla. Hi, I'm Marla Shepard. I'm the Deputy Superintendent of the Kansas City, Missouri Public Schools. Hi, and I'm Awas Sufi. I am the President and CEO of School Smart Kansas City, a collaborative fund um, supporting school improvement in Kansas City, Missouri. All right. I'd like to take a few minutes to discuss the challenges that you all are experiencing during this health and economic crisis. Dr. Marla, how are you all faring over at KCPS? Well, I think we're doing, I'm excited about the work that we're doing right now. I think we're doing pretty well. Um, I, we would like more engagement and we are at a point right now where we're passing out more of our uh, laptops to provide more access to students. However, right now, what we're mainly engaged in is getting our teachers the professional development that they need. What we found is to look at what kids are doing without looking at what adults are doing would not be beneficial for us. And so we have actually rolled out uh, in, co in collaboration with our digital learning team, we've actually rolled out a teacher professional development plan a two-week plan for all of our teachers so that they can be trained on all of the digital avenues that we currently pay for that are currently a part of our toolbox so that they can be adequately prepared as we move into the summer and if necessary the fall to teach students virtually great awas what challenges are surfacing for you all over at school smart casey sure well you know quite a, a multiplicity of them based on the challenges of, of covid 19 you know we um, you know, we've been working on school improvement and supporting our schools and wonderful educators like Dr. Shepard um, for the last three years. Um, and the unfortunate reality is, is that all of the progress and much progress was being made, um, you know, came to a, a, a really challenging moment with the onset of this infection, um, where schools, uh, including Kansas City Public Schools, had to immediately move out of in-person learning into this new uh, virtual and digital environment. Um, and as we surveyed our schools, our educators, our families, um, the educational support organizations around the schools, uh, what we saw repeatedly was that this was going to cause substantial disruption to the traditional way of doing business, that families and students would need to have access to uh, new methods of both connecting to their schools, but then also teachers and others, uh, leaders would have to be able to reconfigure the way they were doing business so that, um, you know, so that, so that kids could learn. Uh, and this was, this was very new and, and, and a very challenging moment for everyone. And I have to give a, a ton of credit to, uh, you know, Dr. Shepard, her colleagues, um, as well as other educators around Kansas City um, who have, you know, have made it work, you know, any which way, like, you know, whatever it takes, they're doing it. Uh, but nonetheless, um, they are significantly um, impeded by 
by some structural challenges that our system has in terms of ensuring connectivity, ensuring virtual learning processes are, are fully in place to, to, to handle what's, what's come their way. Awas, that's a great segue to today's conversation around this concept of interdependence. Uh, the thought that as a society, we, we thrive when everyone in our society is thriving. Conversely, we suffer when there's a segment of our community that doesn't have the same opportunities as others. COVID-19 has, has made manifest many of the inequities that already exist in our society, uh, including in the education sector. One of the challenges receiving the most attention in our region is access to technology in our most impoverished communities. As we all know, digital inclusion has been an issue for some time, but largely ignored as a systemic challenge to be solved. Now, this is not to suggest that there has been no activity around closing the gaps, rather a less than adequate response at the structural level. And the interdependency is, is now that we find ourselves in a circumstance that as a result of lack of connectivity, we're unable to serve these students in any meaningful way. Uh, by deprioritizing digital inclusion, we've essentially closed off ecosystem players and our nonprofits from reaching the most vulnerable students. As an example, if you are an after-school service provider for this demographic, how do you reach your, your consumers during the crisis? Uh, the same can be asked about a number of our players in our ecosystem, special education service providers, reading interventionists, the people who need these offerings the most are now void of these services. And to exacerbate the issue, uh, many of these nonprofit providers are now looking to philanthropy to bridge, provide bridge funding to sustain them during the crisis while having you know, limited capacity to serve the students that are involved that um, they talk about in their mission statements. Uh, so I'd like to ask both of you this question, which is, can you please speak to how the gap in digital access has impacted the district during this time? And, and how, do you, how have you observed the interdependence of the various parts of the ecosystem playing out? And I think what you see here is an economic gap that is really displaying itself a whole lot um, in this time of crisis. When I look at right currently, Kansas City has 46.7% of our students who are actually engaged in turning in assignments in online instruction. That means that we've got close to 53 um, and what 3.3% that we are not regularly getting assignments from. And then when I look at the demographics of who's turning in assignments, largely when you look at the top 10% of students um, in percentages of online assignments being turned in, it is our signature schools. And there's plenty of research around magnet programs and parents and the economic divide between students from that who participate in magnet programs and signature programs versus students who participate in regular schools. So what you see here is an economic divide, which has manifested itself in a digital divide. Um, and for us, what we found is that we've had to uh, distribute online our um, electronic devices to our students and over the last three days we've actually distributed 2,648 devices and even if we were to distribute over the course of these next four days 3,000 or 3,500 devices we would still be at about 70 percent student participation in student who students who actually have access to a device 
that means that there's still 30% out there who may have parents who cannot because they're first line providers. They may not be able to come and pick up devices. So we have to think about those parents. We have, that means that we have students who may be in, um, in, in homeless shelters and a variety of places that make them unable to get these devices. So even with us passing out electronic devices, we still see a divide and there's no percent that's acceptable less than 100%. And so for us, what it means is that we've got to take this to another level. We've got to layer this approach and figure out what is our next layer of, of helping these students who are not receiving, who did not get a device. Why didn't they get a device? What do we do um, as a result of them not getting a device? And what things can we do to interfere, intervene in them and get, getting a device? And so those are the type of questions that we have to ask. But I will tell you, the divide is economic which does end up manifesting in it being a digital divide. And, and I think the biggest thing overall that I'm learning from this is that we've got to fix this economic divide. How do we get people the type of um, wages and the type of opportunities that would allow them to have access to some of the things that some of the middle-class students and above may have? Yeah. Yeah. Love that wow. powerful response, Awas. Yeah, I was going to say the same. I mean, extraordinarily powerful articulation of the issues, uh, you know, Marla's put forward. And, you know, I, I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, the key issue, as she mentioned, really is, you know, we at this point in society are, are, are grappling, putting aside COVID, we were grappling with structural inequity that has existed for generation upon generations. And that has manifested itself in substantial economic um, uh, uh, dislocation, substantial disparity in terms of the haves and have-nots. And all the, whatever crisis comes along, and the interesting thing about this crisis in some ways is it's very similar to others in the sense that it has the same ramifications, but on the other hand, it is, it's such a magnitude that we have not seen, at least, you know, in my lifetime and many others' lifetimes, you know, it accelerates the issues of inequity, right? It, it puts us in this position where you have uh, uh, the folks that, as, 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 as Dr. Shepard said, you know, have access and have had access for years upon years upon years and have utilized that access in ways to, to, to just become part. And, you know, I think all of us, even on a Zoom call right now, we could appreciate this. Like, it's, it's part of our own bloodstream. We don't, you know, this is just how we operate. We engage. It was not, I mean, it was not fun, but we were able to switch, flip the switch and move into this new domain. Um, for those without that access, you know, they are light years now, unfortunately, behind in terms of being able to catch up because they don't access, they don't have the access to the devices. They don't necessarily have access to the connectivity. Um, they're living in neighborhoods where the challenges exist, where it is hard to get them those things. They are in family structures where the economics are really challenging for them to, you know, put down everything and, and go resolve this issue. Um, and not to mention the other things that are around them. So there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle that are causing this, 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 this inequity, but it really where it comes down to is, is that we, we've, we've failed communities in the past, and this current challenge is just the next iteration of how that is playing out. Um, and to your, your question about interdependence, you see that then the families that we've tried to kind of patch together the set of services and approaches and, 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 and supports that help them out are now, you know, all struggling 
to connect the dots with that family or that student to really make sure that those services and supports are provided because they have limited avenues from which to do that. So, um, you know, on one hand, you can see a really strong way that interdependence works where all of the pieces are moving in tandem and supporting each other and, and doing it in a really powerful way. But on the other hand, when we see something like COVID strike, you know, it puts us all in the position where that, that fragile interdependence is really, is really compromised. So um, a real challenging moment, candidly. I, I'm trying to stay calm over here, but you all are getting me all hyped with these powerful answers. Uh, I, I, I got, I'm, take, I'm taking notes, literally, and I heard uh, Dr. Marla say uh, the economic divide is, the, the digital divide is really about the economic divide. So, so digital inclusion is economic inclusion. I love that. And then I heard you say, uh, Awas, we've been failing uh, families, you know, before COVID-19. And, 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 and I have these debates with people, even in philanthropy, that digital, the digital uh, literacy gap uh, and access gap was really an issue before COVID-19. It was an issue last year, two years ago. We just deprioritized it from, in the funding community uh, and in, in policy. So now it's coming back uh, to, to bite us because it's so important in, in a circumstance like this. But I love this interdependence of, of housing and economic and health care policies and how they're all interacting and intersecting with education policy and the way uh, we're able to do our work uh, in our sector. Uh, the next question I'd love for you all to, to address and give your, your wisdom on is, is, do you anticipate any systems level changes occurring as a result of what we're learning about this particular issue today? Absolutely. There's no way that we can continue to operate in the manner that we did pre-COVID. There, there's, there's no way. We've got to do things differently. I will tell you that I've been participating in the digital learning pathways that we have in Kansas City Public Schools and I've learned so much, um, I, you know, I'm not a digital native, but I will tell you, I have put forth every effort to learn everything that our teachers are learning so that I can see the path that they have to go. And I will tell you that technology makes things so much easier. I have learned so many different ways to do things that I learned to do them. I started teaching back in 1995. And so when you think about somebody who started teaching back then and who's now in year 2020, Things, a whole lot of things have changed. And I will tell you, the way that we're teaching now is not, it, we don't, the kids don't have the same needs. I, I just think about my son, I, I think about the people here in my house. Our children have more access to information than any of us have. They have cell phones, they have electronic devices, they can Google, they can Yahoo, they can, uh, they can do just about anything they want to find out information. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, do we need to keep handing information to them? When I was in school, teachers had to stand up and talk about, let's say World War I. They had to tell us everything about it. We either had to read the book or the teacher had to stand up lecture and tell us all those things. You can ask any kid about World War I now and they will go and get their phone and they will Google World War I and they will be able to tell you everything that you want to know. And so the question is, as educators, how do we make that shift? How do we get ourselves to a point where we are now facilitators of people who know how to get the information and teaching them how to use the information in meaningful ways? And so 
if we go back to doing things the way we were, then we would be remiss in, in our learning in all of this, these six to nine weeks that we've had. I think what we're seeing here is children can function without us giving them information. Because a lot of the pathways that we have had to create in Kansas City Public Schools have been about us throwing problems out there, giving them a small lecture and putting them on their own. And so uh, when we go back to brick and mortar, um, whenever that may be, I mean, we know that we've got a long road ahead of us, but whenever we go back, we've got to begin looking at things differently. We've got to create people who have a hunger and a thirst for knowledge and who know how to go get that knowledge. And now we teach them how to do bigger things like put it, make meaning to it and put projects together, make predictions based on what happened in World War I, World War II. What are some things that we can perhaps look at and predict with COVID? as we move throughout this crisis, but helping them to really become problem solvers. And I don't think that we've done enough of that in schools. And if we don't make that switch, then kids will become more and more bored with school. And, and I think in a lot of cases, they're showing us, they're telling us they're bored. Some of them are dropping out. Some of them are becoming disengaged. A lot of different scenarios are happening here. And so they're telling us, they're giving us all the data that we need. The question is, how will we respond to that data? And how will school be any better as a result of the learning that we've made over these last few weeks? Wow, Was, before I come to you, Dr. Marla, a follow-up question. From an outsider's perspective, it seems like uh, the, the administration at KCPS, you spent the last three, four years just trying to right the ship. How, and, and to right the ship uh, so that you can be, be uh, at par, on par with other districts in an antiquated environment. So now COVID is pushing us into a new environment. What, what, is, what should change? Uh, based on what you're saying, and, and, and I'm loving everything you're saying, what should change? How do, you, how do you not write the ship for the old environment? How do you write the ship for the new environment? I think you'll see a lot more digital learning tools in our classrooms now because our teachers are now, because they have time, they're actually going through modules. And I will tell you, I, I, learned, um, I learned Jamboard this week. And Jamboard is such a phenomenal tool. I'm a math teacher. When you start thinking about combining like terms, when you start thinking about, um, you know, the writing the number sentence that actually goes with the, the, the word um, problem, all of those are things that you can use Jamboard for and they're interactive ways that kids can use it. Then when you start thinking about Google Forms, I learned Google Forms. There's no reason why we can't differentiate. I pushed this pretest out to students on the day before and so by the time they get to me on the next day, I already know how to differentiate. I know who knows it, who kind of knows it, and who doesn't know it at all. So now I'm, I'm, those kids who know it, I can go ahead and push them out there and let them do some creating. Those kids who kind of know it, I can still have them in, in my arms, in my, my, you know, in my purview, and I can work with them. But then those who don't know them, that I know immediately when they come into classroom where exactly they need to be, they need to be with me so I can get them through the necessary steps. There are so many things that we can do here. And another thing that our digital learning team has adopted is this pick rat model, which is really awesome in helping teachers to design lessons, virtual lessons. And what it does is it looks at the teacher and what the teacher does, and it also looks at the interaction that the student. When you look at um, some of the P, the P is passive learning, the I is interactive learning, the C is creating. We want our kids to get to that creating level. 
passive learning is not, it, it's no longer acceptable. They're bored with that. And so then when you look at what the teacher is actually doing, um, you know, so the teacher either can replace, amplify, or transform instruction. Replacing means that, hey, is this something that they could do with pen and paper? We don't want to be at that level. When we start thinking about transforming, what is it that we could do at the highest level for the teacher, which is transformation, and the highest level for the kid, which is creating, so that kids are doing things like we do in the workforce? And, and, and some of this shift is going to require some of our state officials to shift as well, because we're not in the workforce bubbling A, B, C, or D as a form of assessment. We're not in the workforce writing short answers to you know, a word problem that you've given us. We're in the workforce solving real life problems. And so we've got to get our kids there in school solving these real life problems. And so I was so impressed with when I learned this pick red model and how to really get um, teachers engaged in the right type of lesson, writing the right type of lesson plan that would truly engage our kids at a phenomenal level where we can see them doing some of the things that we do in the workforce. And so I think what you'll see in Kansas City Public Schools is a greater focus on digital learning tools and using those digital learning tools to really reach kids at all level. That kid who can't do, that kid that kind of has it, and then that kid who really needs the teacher, because we don't think teachers will ever be exempt, but we do believe the role has to be redefined. Awesome, awesome. Awas, how do you, what are the systems level changes you anticipate? I think first, um, you know, shame on us as a community if we do not take advantage of this opportunity to improve kind of the long-term prospects for our, for our vulnerable families and communities. I mean, if nothing else, this should be highlighting that in a really serious way. And, and I think Marla's put out there a lot of the avenues for which that could happen. You know, if I look back at, you know, in my adult life, you know, I've been a part of what two major economic recessions prior to this one, right? One was uh, back when the tech bubble busted. You know, I guess it was in the late '90s, early 2000s, and then um, and then it was the housing crisis. Uh, I think in 2008. Um, and if we look as a community at what happened at those moments, sub or subsequent to those moments, in terms of transitions and changes, and I would not say we've done things perfectly, but there were specific things that did happen. You know, in the IT structures, what we saw is that you know. Folks, folks did not look at, you know, you could not just build it and assume that revenues would come, right? So investors became much more disciplined about ensuring that there was a revenue flow, that it was cash flow positive, and that over time you would see some yield. Um, you know, and on the other side of it, at the housing side, you know, we all have seen, you know, anybody that's bought a house in the last 10, 15 years has seen the stack of documentation to ensure the integrity of those underlying, you know, uh, mortgage instruments and other things like that. So, you know, there are pathways to make this work if we are focused and, and, and going to look at it. Um, Marla talked in, 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 in really you know, powerful detail about the learning side of the equation. Um, what I would just add on to that is the, 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 the digital divide side of it, right? Because you know, the assumption there is that kids have access to those, those pieces and we're gonna have to do a lot of changes just as Marla mentioned around how those types of things uh, are, um, you know, are how we reconfigure educational models. Uh, for me, I say, you know, what are the pathways that we have to create to ensure that, you know, whether in a time of crisis or not, that families in our most vulnerable positions have access to all the pieces of the technology they need to be able to do that learning that Dr. Shepard has talked about so eloquently. Uh, so, for example, you know, should we be looking at uh, internet access as a public utility? 
as a right, as opposed to uh, the type of, um, you know, happenstance, you know, where you live, what type of connectivity is available to you. You know, and what's fascinating to me, you know, if you look in the international context, there are countries upon countries that have leapfrogged into this where they're providing, you know, Wi-Fi access, Wi-Max access in a, in a very broad way uh, to communities that have not traditionally been connected, right? In the United States, you know, 40, 30, 40, 50 years ago, we talked about universal service funds for telephone access in rural environments, right? So why can't we reconfigure the way that we think about digital access as well? Uh, because right now we're in a really tough spot. If you're a if you are a family that has economic vulnerability, if you have in the past, uh, if you live in an environment in in a in a neighborhood which has limited access or that digital providers don't really want to you know to to be fully invested in because they don't feel there's enough yield in terms of profit, or if you're in a place where uh, folks um, you know have have defaulted on bills previously so that it's not easy for them to actually be re reconnected, then, then, then you're in a world of hurt right now, right? And all the work that we're trying to do to sort of patch together things to say, okay, right now, you can, you can, we, can, we can avoid the fact that you've been delinquent on bills. Or right now, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna try to give access to this housing complex where traditionally, you know, many people don't have it. Like we need to be moving much faster and much more purposefully around addressing those issues in a, in a time of, uh, in, 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 you know, this time, but in this time as it, as it wanes, because the reality is, is that this is gonna keep be this issue or some other. And, and, and actually, if we're smart about it, we don't even look at it from a deficit model. We look at it from a proactive model to do the types of things that Dr. Shepard's talked about, where learning is going to transform and it's going to transition into these new approaches. And we can accelerate the learnings of kids that have been traditionally disenfranchised. So there's a lot of opportunity here. I think it's just a question of whether we're gonna take advantage of that opportunity. I love that answer, Awas. I mean, the, the question that I have, that I've been asking people is, what are we going to do for COVID-21? Or the next snowstorm that keeps students out for a week? Like, how are we gonna be prepared based on our learnings right now and based on the gaps that we have? Uh, if we get caught like this again, then shame on us, I agree with you. Uh, so great answers. Thank you for this great conversation, you all. Uh, another question I have, uh, either of you, uh, what can schools do to encourage stronger connections between students and their families and the school itself? Ooh, that's a big one. I think, I think largely what we're finding is teachers who had great relationships with students pre-COVID are teachers who have great relationships with students post-COVID. I think what you see here is We've, we've got to focus more on relationships with students, period. Relationships matter. Relationships matter when you want, in, in kids wanting to work for a teacher and kids wanting to excel for a teacher, relationships are everything when we're talking about children. And so I think one of the big um, things that we need to focus on is making sure that we equip our teachers with the tools and our schools with the tools to build good relationships with the community and good relationships with the students and their families. Um, I, I would venture to say that if without the digital divide, that if you were to look at the kids who were actually participating, minus not having devices or not having internet, it would be the kids who already have relationships with their, with their teachers and they're wanting to get up every day and see that teacher online. And so what we've got to do is figure out how do we transform that relationship into every classroom? 
how did we get every teacher to understand how to reasonably build a relationship with their students such that it doesn't matter if we have a snow day, it doesn't matter if we have a COVID-21, because I agree, all of these things are very likely in the near future. But teachers have, we, we've got to equip them. And I think that's the, that's the big focus, that will be a focus for us. How do we equip all of our teachers to build the right and the meaningful relationships with all of their students? Great, Alas. Well, and I would just build on that. I think that's, that's, that's exactly right. And I would just you know, kind of even expand the circle you know, if you're talking particularly about kids um, from a more vulnerable position or, you know, fragile position economically or socially, you know, there are a whole array of supports that, you know, well, well-designed, well-executing schools are putting in place for those kids. And so back to your point about interdependence, Sherman, you know, that interdependence amongst that team is critical because each one of those individuals, as, as, as Dr. Shepard said, is going to have a unique ability to create a relationship with that child. And so, and amongst them all, also how do they create the relationships so that there is the understanding that, you know, if, if a certain student, young person is, is facing a traumatic circumstance in life, and this is a broad traumatic one, but maybe there were other issues already underlying that, you know, you have social workers, you have you know, uh, uh, folks that are helping with special education needs. You have folks that are helping with immigration, immigrant and, and, and refugee needs. You have a whole of food, you know, food insecurity. All of those issues are surrounding that student. And exactly like Dr. Shepard said, if we've built good relationships to begin with, if we've created those bonds, then we are going to be more resilient at these times of crisis than we will be if we don't, right? And if we don't, then we're trying to make that stuff up. And you know, crisis is going to bring the best out of people, but without those underlying sort of relationships and, 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 and a sense of common purpose and bond, it's going to be a lot harder to get to where we want to go. Awesome. Final question. And Awasa, I'll lob it back to you. Yeah. Uh, Kansas City is, is, is famous for, for uh, uh, using the word fragmented, right? We love to go into our, our respective silos and, 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 and work. Uh, oftentimes on same projects, same initiatives, same, same vision and mission, but working uh, in silos versus working together. How has this crisis, uh, how have you seen school districts, I'm thinking about inter interdependence of, of communities and school districts, how have you seen uh, people come together during this crisis and how are we working as a, a respected uh, region and community versus our independent school districts. How, how have you witnessed this? I'm going to ask you the same question, Dr. Marla. Yeah, powerful question and an important one. I would say, you know, the, the unbelievable challenge we have right now is also, I think, the opportunity. It's like this equally affects us all, right? Like, I mean, there's, you know, you can't go anywhere these days without, you know, the, the notion of COVID um, really causing us enormous challenges uh, as a community. So, you know, where we've seen some really interesting places of collaboration or sort of joint purpose, um, you know, one area, for example, I mean, immediately, as soon as this came about, we all communally recognized that food insecurity was an enormous challenge to be faced by, you know, our, our vulnerable families. Um, and the challenge being that each one of the providers of those of that food, meaning school systems that had traditionally been providing free and reduced price lunches, um, they were vulnerable themselves because if any of those food service providers, those individuals were uh, to be infected, all of a sudden, you know, you would have, have that kind of go offline. And it would not change the fact that, that 
people literally needed to eat. So what we saw was collaboration amongst school districts uh, and school systems to say, hey, you know, let's back each other up here. Let's make sure that we find the alternate channels through which this can happen if this doesn't happen. And not just the school systems, but, you know, the broader environment, right? So you would see, you know, to your notion of interdependence, you would see, you know, food banks, you would see uh, grocery stores, you would see hospitals even uh, coming together and providing that joint joint approach. Um, another place I would say we've seen it in a really exciting way is with this issue of the digital divide, right? Because the challenge with the digital divide is, is that it's not just about handing somebody a device, right? I mean, it can be, it's four or five components. It's a device, it's connectivity, it's repair and functionality, you know, and, and, and it's, it's servicing over time. And not to mention all the important things that Dr. Shepard talked about, about learning itself, right? So we are seeing an increasing kind of sharing of best practices, approaches, technical knowledge, expertise amongst schools and the school systems uh, and educators really to say, how are you doing it? How can you do it? You know, like even the very, if, I just love the, 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 the new approaches and tools that Dr. Shepard is pushing out there because I have no doubt some folks are going to hear that and say, hey, wait, how do I jump on that? That's going to be great to figure out how to, how to use for the purposes that I have as well. So, um, you know, there are challenges, but it's also some, some wonderful ways of, uh, of, of seeing people starting to work together on things that are, that are, that are joint, you know, way, way to pitch your proposal, Dr. Shepard proposal forthcoming Awas, Dr. Marla close us out. Well, one of the things that I think has been really great for us is what we have on Fridays is we have cadres. And so we have our teachers working with a, a group of teachers from another school, which is something that we're just not able to do during the school year. We don't have time. And we have one day that we do PD, which is Wednesdays. And that is a 75 minute PD. So the, the semantics of getting them from one school to the next is very hard. So when you start thinking about the collaboration here, the collaboration at the, at the minute and smallest level is now we're seeing teachers from different schools being able to collaborate on Fridays and you hear them exchanging great ideas and you hear them building relationships with each other. We know that we all need each other. We live in a world that we're interdependent and we need each other. And so the good part about our cadres is that our teachers are now working with somebody who may be on the other side of town, who may have a different population, but that, and they may approach the work differently. However, there's always something that we can learn from each other. So I'm excited about that. But then the type of collaboration that we're having with districts all over America, um, every Tuesday I'm on a call with the Council of the Great City Schools Chief Academic Officers. It is wonderful because you get a chance to hear what's going on in Columbus, Ohio. You get a chance to hear what's going on in Los Angeles, California. You get a chance to hear what's going on in Miami, Florida, in Houston, Texas, Dallas, Texas, all of these places. And we are really learning from each other. And I think that's something that we just don't have time to do during the school year. Life happens and we always want to hear, but we shouldn't have to go to a conference to hear what other people are doing in other districts. And so what I think it's done is this, this has brought us all together and we're realizing that we have a common problem here. And, those, and, and that common problem is this digital divide, this economic divide and children who need an education, who will thrive only from an education. And so bringing us together to talk about those issues and how we deal with it. How do we deal with the grading? How do we deal with the kids who don't have devices? And what do we do? How do we deal with summer school? 
because we know that they've missed out on so much instruction. So what are next steps for summer school? How do we even get ready for the fall? What happens if we have a group of children who want to stay at home, whose parents want to keep them at home? How do we serve those children? What if we have a group of kids whose parents can't leave them at home and they have to be at our schools all day, but then we still have to have social distancing? We have a lot of scenarios that we have to work through, but it's been really great being on a call with people from all over America and hearing how they're approaching these issues. And so I'm um, just, I think this has brought us together in meaningful ways and we're having meaningful conversations here that really can help us as far as our relationship beyond this and what things we can do to add to each other so that everybody can benefit because that's the thing about interdependence. The end goal is that everybody benefits. Love it, love your responses. First, I wanna thank you all for your leadership. Secondly, I wanna thank you for being brilliant and uh, knocking these questions out of the park. And then just, just thank you for, for your, your collective efforts to, to make our district uh, one of the best in the nation, a proof point for what education reform should look like. Um, I'm gonna close it out on that. And thanks to both of you again. And until the next time, be well. Thank, thank you for you. having us. Thank you very much. Take care. Thanks, take care. Thank you for listening to this Kauffman Foundation podcast. For more stories on growing an inclusive economy, please visit us at emkf.org forward slash podcast. The Uncommon Voices series brings new perspectives and opinions on topics related to the Kauffman Foundation's work. The perspectives of our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of the Kauffman Foundation, but are presented here to celebrate uncommon voices and civil discourse to move conversations forward.